going to talk today a little bit about some things we see in the book of Luke. We're going to talk about three coins that we see in the book of Luke that I, that I pray will, will touch your heart. There's a fourth coin we won't talk about, but we agree with. It's a, in Luke 20, it, Jesus talks about paying our taxes. Amen. We should pay our taxes. But we're not going to do a scripture about that today. We are going to start, though, in Luke chapter 12. And the, the first point I want to, want to make this morning as we look at these three coins is that we are valuable to God. We are valuable to God. And what I'm going to do is um, uh, we'll talk about our family and a few different other things through some PowerPoint slides in a minute. But we'll get right into the word because that's what we're, we're all about in the church here. So Luke chapter 12, verse 6 and 7, Jesus is talking to a crowd of thousands of disciples. And sometimes in crowds we may feel insignificant or even alone, even though we're we're part of a great group of people. But it says in Luke 12, verse 6, Jesus said, Are not five sparrows sold for two pennies? Yet not one of them is forgotten by God. Indeed, the very hairs of your head are all numbered. Don't be afraid. You are worth more than many sparrows. You know, the, the, the coin he's talking about here, he says five sparrows are sold for two pennies. That's actually two asaria. And what that works out to is that a sparrow is worth about 12 minutes of work at minimum wage. In other words, it's worth a dollar sixty, And yet, even though, and, and people would buy little sparrows to eat them. If you had very little money and you couldn't afford um, higher level meat like lamb or, or chicken or, or goat meat, you could buy a sparrow in the marketplace and feed your family for a dollar sixty. And here you have the hairs of your head, which mine are getting fewer and fewer, so God can count them more easily, as for many of the brothers actually, but... Uh, who we won't name individually, but you know who they are. Um, What we see is that God knows the hairs of our head. God knows individual sparrows. If God cares about a tiny little bird, how much more does he care about each one of us, Jesus says? You and we are valuable to God. And this is a message that we need to keep remembering as we get older because all through our lives we have experiences that tell us we are not valuable. It can start in childhood where someone calls you ugly or maybe someone says you're stupid and and you start to believe that about yourself. Or maybe you are abused as a child and and you believe that you're not valuable, you're worthless, no one cares about you. Or maybe you don't get to do something you hope to do and you're not picked for a team or for something you auditioned for and and you're rejected and you feel like I'm no good. Or perhaps... As you grow older, you get fired from a job. I've lost a job. And you know, that's a painful experience that we don't need you. Maybe it's a layoff or maybe you messed up and you lost your job. Or or maybe it was just office politics. But whatever it was, that moment when you lose your job or, or you have financial problems. Or maybe it's a broken relationship. And these can happen in the church where, where we hurt one another and, and we feel worthless. And yet... When, in those moments when we feel worthless, God reminds us, you are valuable to God. He is the God of the brokenhearted, the God of the rejected, the God of the small, 
the God of the lonely, the God of the fatherless. And my wife's going to share in just a moment about, about um, our, our children. But I want us to remember today that you and I are so valuable to our God. children two uh, we have two daughters who are adopted from india and uh when uh, this isn't working the way i was thinking but i'm very good at this <laughs> anyway go ahead and share so we have two daughters adopted from india and you know today they are wonderful young ladies but life didn't start out so well for them and i know so many of us too many of us feel unworthy we feel unwanted maybe undeserving of god's love uh, my two daughters adopted from india the older one um was born in a place in India called Bihar, which is a very, very poor part of India. And she was supposed to be a victim of infanticide. For um, various reasons, you know, it's not very popular, even to this day, to have little girls in India. And Esther was supposed to be killed at birth by her mother. And um, fortunately, God intervened, and some Catholic nuns heard about her mother and came to her and said, we'll take care of you, we'll... Um, help you deliver the baby, and instead of killing the baby, please just give us the baby, and we'll make sure she's taken care of. So that's what happened. Uh, our little Esther, she's the one, she's the bride in the picture. <laughs> um, she just got married two years ago, but she was rescued at birth, and then was sent to an orphanage, and we adopted her when she was six months old. And the first few years of her life were very, very challenging, she was very angry. She was more than angry. She was enraged. She was upset. Something was not right. And even as a little child, as a little baby, she knew, she knew deep inside her soul that she had been rejected, that she was not wanted. And in India, um, they give first preference for adoption to Indian families, which is the right thing to do. I mean, it is best for a child to be raised in a family that looks like them and has the same ethnic background. And unfortunately for Esther, though, um, she's very dark-skinned. Now, as you look at her today, I mean, she's absolutely gorgeous, but she's very dark-skinned. And in India, families usually do not want a dark-skinned child. And so Esther, by the time we met her at the age of six months, she had already been rejected by six Indian families, simply on the basis of her skin color. Now, you know, that was good for us because we got to adopt her. <laughs> and, uh, but, you know, throughout her life, she has been dealing with this feeling of why. Why am I not wanted? Why am I, am I not worthy? Is something wrong with me? And, you know, it's been wonderful as she's grown up in the church. As Don shared earlier in the church, you know, we're a family and we support one another and we help one another. And she's had so many great, wonderful people teach her about God. She became a Christian as a teenager. She's now actually married and in the full-time ministry in Australia. Uh, she met her husband on a Hope Youth Corps. Youth Corps. Um, and, uh, you know, so... She, you know, the story is ending pretty well. However, this is an ongoing struggle for her. Am I worthy? Am I good enough? Why did this happen to me? And I know a lot of us can relate to that. And you may not be adopted, but there may be something in your life that's made you feel that way. And God is there for us. But it is hard. And then our other adopted daughter, the younger one at the front, Priscilla, she's 11 now. We adopted her when she was four. 
And in her case, um, she is hearing impaired. Now, she's managing just fine, uh, but she's hearing impaired. And when she was little and in the orphanage in India, uh, she's very cute. So an Indian family adopted her when she was two years old. And no one knew at the time that she was hearing impaired because she has the most amazing personality. So she fakes it really well. Um, but she was adopted by an Indian family, and when they took her home, they ran a bunch of medical tests on her and realized that she was hearing impaired. So they brought her back. And she doesn't remember that, and praise God. But, you know, the feeling of not being wanted, not being good enough, being undeserving. You know, my two daughters are growing up with that feeling. And again, you know, because of God and because of the church and because of grace, you know, they're, they're okay. They're doing fine. But how many of us live with that feeling of I'm not good enough? I don't deserve God's love. I'm unworthy. God is there, but the pain is there as well. Worthless things, right? We feel I'm not valuable. And so then, then we're tempted to go to drinking or smoking or maybe our addiction, our safe place, maybe pornography, or maybe just wasting time. Or, or perhaps we lash out. You know, maybe I know in my life when I felt useless is when I've been the most rude and unkind. When I first came to the church, I... I had really struggled growing up because my parents had divorced. I, when I was 10, my dad left. I never understood why. I thought it must be because I'm such, such an irritating child. And, um, you know, because he used to say, these children are nothing but aggravation. And I thought, that's, that's me. I'm definitely aggravating. And my wife could tell you. Oh, <laughs> praise God. Praise God for the kingdom that we get less aggravating, slightly. But... I, I, I then, and this was reconfirmed to me as I grew up, you know, I, I, when I was in second grade, I soiled my pants, and I, that became the story of the school for six years. Remember when Mark, you know, and I was so fired up when I moved to Arizona, because no one knew, and I wasn't going to tell. And then, but they could, somehow they did know that I was someone who should be bullied. And I got bullied in high school, you know, and never went to the dances and all that stuff. Then I go to college and I think, it's going to change now. Awesome. I go and I go to the fraternities and, you know, I, I'm, I'm like, yeah, I'd really love to be part of this fraternity, you know. I, I like to play chess and I'd love to study. And would you like a beer? No, I, I don't drink beer, but I like Coke. And... After about 15 minutes, they took me to the lobby and they said, you know, we're, we're thinking, how, what, do you, what do you think of this fraternity? I said, oh, this is great. It's just people here are so nice. It'd be awesome. I'd love to live here. Yeah, we've been thinking and, you know, we think that maybe APO might be a better fit for you. And I go, no, I really like it here. No, you don't understand. You've been flushed. So I ended up in the dorm and six months later, Don Murray. And I was listening to a song when Don Murray invited me called Bad for Good. I know that I'm going to be like this forever. I'm never going to be what I should. And if you think I'm going to be bad for just a little while, I'm going to be bad for good. 
It became a meatloaf song later. Jim Steinman wrote for meatloaf. And this was cranked up at maximum level when Don and Jeff Zimmer knocked on my door. And I was hostile to the Christians, even when I started coming, because I felt so worthless. We do worthless things. You know, when I was a little kid, I had the chance to see the statue of Michelangelo, but unfortunately, where, where um, Michelangelo did a statue where, where Mary is holding Jesus as after he's died on the cross. It's a beautiful statue. I had a chance to see it, but I had a fit of rage and instead wanted ice cream. And so my, my relatives and my mom decided that I needed to have ice cream instead of see the statue because that's what I wanted. That was not maybe a good choice. But anyway, I missed the statue. Well, then when I was about 10 years old, a crazy guy took a hammer and smashed the statue of Michelangelo and smashed Jesus and smashed Mary You know, when that statue was broken to pieces, I felt very guilty, kind of like it was my fault because I hadn't gone to see it. Well, what do people do with a broken statue made by Michelangelo? They picked up the pieces and they painstakingly reassembled the statue. You can see it if you go to Rome today. It's like it never was damaged. And this is what our God does with us. We break our life up. We mess up. We blow it. It's our fault. Or sometimes it's other people's fault, but we believe we're worthless. But our God takes those broken pieces and says, you are so valuable. Please, come and hear how much I love you. Could you come to church? Could you study the Bible? Maybe you're here today and you've been struggling. Maybe your faith is dead. It went away a lost time, long time ago and you've stopped. You still come, but it's gone. And secretly... There are these worthless things we run to when we feel down. But God wants us to remember today, just like a sparrow, you are valuable to God. Secondly, our giving is valuable to God. We already talked about this today in a beautiful way. So I, 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 but but in, in Luke 21, we see in verse, in verse 1, Jesus, as he looked up, saw the rich putting their gifts into the temple treasury. He also saw a poor widow put in two very small copper coins known as lepta. I tell you the truth, he said, this poor woman has put in more than all the others. All these people gave their gifts out of their wealth. But she, out of her poverty, put in all she had to live on. Now this is an interesting story. The amount of money the woman gave was two lepta, which was one sixty-fourth of a day's wage. If you take minimum wage as a standard, then that would be worth perhaps about a dollar. And that's all she had to live on. She didn't even have enough money to buy a sparrow. But she took that money and gave it to the temple. Now here's what's interesting. Jesus knew exactly what the temple was like. Remember, he made a whip out of cords and drove the people out who were selling doves and turned over their tables and said, how dare you turn my father's house into a market? But this hypocrisy that Jesus knew about wasn't enough to make him not commend the woman. See, it's not about what we're giving to. It was a corrupt 
pharisaical organization the woman was giving her last coin to, and yet Jesus was so proud of her because, as Don shared earlier today, our giving is not to the institution. Our giving is actually to God. And the church is an instrument, and then God uses that giving. Imperfect though we are, God uses it anyway, even though we're just, we're just human beings. And do we, do we perfectly handle the money? I was very impressed when I saw the fi- financial presentation. I thought, wow, this church is careful. Even this morning when I went into the children's ministry and those awesome brothers and sisters who served there, they got the guidance. Be careful, don't spill coffee on the carpet because we don't want to have to pay extra. So we're even careful about not wasting money on coffee spills, amen? And, and I think, wow, the church here, but even if the church here didn't use the money well, okay, Jesus still commends your giving because your giving is valuable to God. And it's not about the amount, it's about the heart. And you go, good, praise God, I'm not going to give much. <laughs> no, it, it's, it's that... The fact that we are sacrificing, that it hurts. And, and we give in many ways. We give, and, and it shouldn't be, by the way, that we go, okay, I'm going to take this, I'm going to give more, to, I like hope better, so I'm going to give more to hope. Or I like my local charity better, I'm going to cut my regular contribution and give that. Or no, I like missions more, so I'm going to cut regular and give. It should, it's actually, we give because all of these things are good. Amen? But, but our giving is valuable to God. And like, like, like was said this morning, we don't always know what our giving does. And one of the blessings I've had, I'm really excited that I was able to do this, is I was able to go on the mission field. So we took $68,000 given by the saints in 1987, and we planted the church in Bangalore, India. And we spent that $68,000 on airfare, on meeting halls, on salary for the 14 mission team members for a year. Okay, 14 of us. And probably 25% of that 68,000 went to helping the poor because there were so many needs, we just thought we have to meet these needs. But in subsequent years, more special contributions were given. And that little, that little group, you know, we now have almost 7,000 disciples in 64 churches in South Asia. But it's a similar story And this is about missions giving, because I know where the mission money went anyway. Uh, We got $20,000 that we used back in 96 to plant a church in Dhaka, Bangladesh. And when we planted that church, it's like what we're doing here, where we start a new work, you know, where we try to start a new family group, or where we are trying to focus more on Denton. That is awesome. But we didn't actually have as many people as you're going to have in Denton, because we didn't have any Bangladeshis to start the church. We had, though, one Bangladeshi had visited Delhi for his wife's operation, and I had had the chance to, to meet him by God's mercy on the road. He was, I was praying, and he looked really handsome. And normally when I pray, I don't invite people. But because he looked really handsome uh, or, or something, unusually so, I thought, wow. <laughs> and I thought, I should invite him. And I interrupted my prayer and invited him. He turned out to be an actor from Bangladesh. Uh, he played goons. Like, uh, but, but we started writing each other. And he was from a Christian background. And he agreed to help us. And I told him, we're going to plant a church and we need you to help us. And so he became kind of our helper. He would lead songs. And, of course, he was our first person who became a Christian. But we planted the church. And, you know... We, we took about $20,000, and it was during a terrible time in the country. I, literally, I was carrying the money around in a bag. 
because the banks were closed because there was a national strike. And I had all the money in a bag and I was dressed really badly because we were trying to find halls and a place to rent and different stuff and, and, and a bank that would take our money. But, you know, so we, it, was, it was very hilarious. No one hurt me, thankfully. But, <laughs> but anyway, we started the church. And so what, what happened? Well, the church went through its struggles. Every single person we baptized at the beginning, we had eight baptisms in the first two months, every single one ended up leaving, leaving the Lord eventually, which was very sad. But not before they, they, they shared and were used by God to help others, and I'm sure some of them will come back. Today we have a church in Bangladesh that has, and I'm clicking, but I'm, I'm not very good at this, i got to tell you, and it's not your IT team. Oh, there we go. Okay. Oh, oh I lost it. Uh, okay, we don't have all the pictures here because that, that's my fault. I sent them too late. But what happened is we started a church in Bangladesh and this church in Dhaka um, grew to 60 members. But what was interesting is over the years, we also had the opportunity to start helping the poor. Walmart found us on the internet and because we were a good charity, Hope Worldwide, Walmart said, we'd like to work with you. And they started working with us in India and then in India, in Bangladesh, they started working with us. And anyway, do you guys remember back in 2013, there was that terrible tragedy where the Rana Plaza um, Center collapsed and 1,100 poor textile workers were squashed? Do you remember that? And it was just horrible. And it became world news for a while. And, you know, a lot of people gave a lot of money to NGOs who came and left. And then we don't normally go in at that time because it's... it's, it's People are very, you know, it's very, the powerful ones go in. And we're not very powerful. But God is powerful. And about a year later, after the other NGOs had gone, no one was actually helping the community that, where the building had collapsed. And so Hope Worldwide had the opportunity to work with manufacturers, you know, textile manufacturers. And we got money. And Hope has is, is been for five, not five, four years now, um, helping the, the victims of that Rana Plaza tragedy by vocational training and a school for small children one of our several schools that we run in Dhaka, Bangladesh. But my point, say, what is all this about? People who gave their special contribution back in 1995, and maybe they took their VCR and they sold it, or they didn't buy a car that year, or they canceled a vacation, or I don't know if we had Starbucks in those years, but maybe they didn't upgrade their 8286 computer to an 8386. Right? <laughs> Or they didn't get a CGI graphics card, because those were awesome, okay? Whatever it was, that sacrifice, wow, this is, the, uh, that sacrifice led to, the, led to this growth, and now there are, there are small children in Bangladesh getting educated because of disciples who gave money in 1995. And, and the same thing is going to happen now. As you give your contribution, someone who's thinking of killing themselves today in Louisville is very sad and someone is going to follow up on them or invite them in three weeks and maybe they're going to come and change their life and seven years from now they'll share their testimony and you'll go wow and it's because you gave your contribution that helped organize a service that inspired a person who went out and invited that person but you you don't know about the marriages that will be healed here in Dallas or the, the broken-hearted people who'll be saved. But what you do know is that Jesus says your giving is valuable to God. Number three, lost souls are valuable to God. Luke chapter 15. I love Luke 15 because it, it talks about how God 
loves the lost so very much. And in Luke 15, there's a story about a, a shepherd and his, his stupid sheep wanders off. And isn't that what happens? We, we make a lot of dumb choices and we wander off. And it's like, how did I get here? And the sheep is in a field all alone. And it's kind of wondering, where did the other sheep go? And the master of the sheep, the shepherd, runs through the fields and is searching for his one stupid lost sheep. And he's getting cut by the thorns and his feet might getting, be getting hurt by the rocks. But he keeps running. And when he finds that lost sheep, like a bodybuilder, he lifts the sheep up, puts it on his shoulders because now the sheep can't get away. And he comes back with the smelly sheep. And if you've ever tried to wear a sheep, you'll know they're very, very smelly creatures. And he comes home and he says, we need to have a party. I found the lost sheep. It says he went, he went after that sheep until he found it. it. It says the same thing about a lost coin. And in this case, the, the hero of the story is a woman. God has both male and female qualities. Even though God is described as a man throughout Scripture, God has all the good qualities we normally associate with men or women. And the Bible says in Luke 15, verse 8, or suppose a woman has ten silver coins and loses one. Does she not light a lamp sweep the house and search carefully until she finds it and when she finds it she calls her friends and neighbors together and says rejoice with me i've found my lost coin in the same way i tell you there is rejoicing in the presence of the angels of god over one sinner who repents now i know that last night at around 10:30 p.m. There was rejoicing in the living rooms of Dallas over one football team that defeated another. Which is, by the way, as a young man, and you know, I can't say this in, in, in where I live in Northern Virginia because, because the, 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 most of the disciples there are either fans of the Patriots who deflate balls or they're fans of, of uh, the Redskins who I don't know if they win very many games. Um, and, but as a child, we didn't have a team in Arizona, and absolutely, Tom Landry's Dallas Cowboys were my favorite team, and they were very, very good. And I still remember the Hail Mary pass and all that stuff, you know, but there was rejoicing. And many of you, and I was rejoicing, I watched, I was like, this is very good. Oh, look at that guy, number 21. Woo! <laughs> that quarterback, Prescott, whoa, wow! Wow! We rejoice over people carrying a leather ball on a, on a field. We rejoice if we get a pay rise or a promotion. Or you go to a rock concert and your band comes out and they're so awesome. And I do go to concerts. And we rejoice like, oh my gosh, they've come out on the stage. Yes! You know, we rejoice if our candidate wins an election. Or maybe we, it's the opposite. We get mad if, and, and upset. But the Bible doesn't say God rejoiced when the Cowboys won last night. It doesn't say God rejoiced when someone made a lot of money or got promoted. The one time we see God rejoicing in heaven, it's not even at the birth of a child, although I believe God does rejoice at the birth of every single human being. But we definitely know God is excited when one sinner repents. 
And God, God is so fired up. And I bet he's more fired up than we are when Dallas wins a game. And, and, and the angels are fired up. Lost souls are valuable to God. The story of the prodigal son, this guy who was a complete idiot, who insulted his father and told his dad, look, you're getting old. I need my money now. No point in waiting till you die. Could you give me my share? I want to go and take it. Yes, I don't want to be with you. No, absolutely not. No way I want to be one day more in this house than I have to. Next day he goes off, sets off for a distant country, wastes all his money with fake friends, loses it all, ends up working for a pig farmer. Not an optimal job for a Jewish boy. And he's sitting, that my, my father is Jewish, and so I come from that, that background, and, and I, respect, I respect that religion a great, in a great way, as I do all religions, and yet, for him, it was a suboptimal job. And he sat there, and he was broken and worthless, and he had done it all. It was all his fault. But the father was out there in the fields waiting for his boy to come home, and he threw a party as soon as he saw that son. These lost souls are valuable to God. And what you see in the story of the, of the lost coin is that woman got on her knees. It, it was a coin worth one day's wages, a drachma, okay, a denarius, uh, about $64. It's worth a lot. She was on her knees scraping. And you know, if you clean your house, you reach under the sofa or reach be- under the sink, you will find many interesting things. You might find food that your kids once decided not to eat, but, not, but to hide, right? I mean, and she's getting her fingernails dirty, her knees aching, maybe splinters, bumping her head, but she keeps looking. She goes to where the coin is. She went. The law, when the shepherd was looking for the lost sheep, he went there, going. When we send out family groups or when we start a Bible discussion at work, Or when we go door knocking, we're going to the people and trying to bring the gospel to them. And uh, Nadine's going to share a a little bit about this because um, God works powerfully when we go to people. You know, it is so uh, wonderful when disciples take the gospel to communities. And we as disciples, our responsibility is to go to people. We go to them. We respectfully serve people. And we show them the love of Jesus. We show them the gospel, sometimes without even words. Um, A group of disciples went to New Zealand over Christmas to serve on a volunteer corps, and the program was to serve in a Maori community, in an indigenous Maori community in New Zealand, a group which, you know, historically has been marginalized in, in New Zealand, unfortunately. And so the program was, you know, this group of international participants from all over the world went to New Zealand and served, respectfully served the community, built a greenhouse for the um, community there. It was a sustainable agriculture program, building gardens and helping uh, this, this community to grow their own food and be healthy. And I mean, it's a wonderful program. And the disciples spend their Christmas basically working really, really hard. And the goal was not to evangelize necessarily. The goal was to serve. But the leaders of that community, Valerie and Lionel, noticed the hearts of the disciples. 
And from the very first week of the volunteer corps, they started going to church with the Christians. And it's three, four weeks now since the program took place, and they're still going to church. And no one really invited them. No one gave them a church card. No one said, do you want to study the Bible? They came because they saw a group of disciples humbly serving a community they didn't know on the other side of the world. And the impact was incredible. And it is so moving to me to see how the hearts of disciples, and I know so many of you here in the church are incredible servants. You serve without even saying anything, but people see our hearts. People see your service. And we can take the gospel to people even without saying anything, just by being disciples. And as a church, you're an incredible example. And uh, I, I so respect what you do. So thank you so much. Amen. And so practically, as we think about the fact that lost souls are valuable to God, there are so many places where we interact with other people. You know, at work, your fellow workers are watching you. How do you behave when the boss is not there? How do you treat them? Do you throw them under the bus? Do you accept responsibility when you make a mistake? Do you surprise your bosses with bad news or give them bad news quickly? You know, a wait, and then they're surprised. And we all know no one wants to be surprised. How, do we, how are we with our neighbors? You know, our neighbor gets mad at us about something maybe we did wrong. Do we, do we respectfully repent and try to change it? Do we, do we meet them? Do we start Bible discussions at work? You know, I remember when I went to Pakistan, I, I was assigned there. One of the brothers um, uh, who I'm very close to, Moadami, he said, Bro, you know, that's awesome. And unfortunately, I ended up being assigned where, at first I was assigned to where the church was in Islamabad, but then I ended up in a place where we had no church because they changed my assignment. And I was like, how am I going to do this? And so we worked it out. I, I, I brought the leaders and the Christians um, to come to me and we would fellowship. We did all night prayers over Skype. We had a lot of fellowship, but we didn't have a church there. And, and Guillermo was like, well, what, have you thought about starting a Bible discussion? I thought, Bible discussion at work? This is awkward. I work with these people. And so I started one, and I invited everyone where I worked. And it was like by a blast email to everyone. I said, we're having a weekly Bible meeting. If any of you are interested in the Bible, just feel free to come. And I went to Bible discussion six weeks in a row. And I had exactly zero guests with me. So I would sit alone in the room, and I would go, well, okay. And I think, shall I talk to myself? No, I'll just read the Bible. After six consecutive weeks of no one coming, we, we eventually started getting uh, one or two people coming. And by the end, we had three or four guests coming. But we also started one for our local employees, the Pakistan employees. And they started coming, and we had six or seven guests. And because the Christians kept visiting me, they were able to reach out and visit the families of other Christians in Pakistan. We, have th we had three churches before then. But during that time, we managed to plant the church in Karachi, a city of 21 million people. And now we have a small church there. And Pakistan now has 342 disciples from back in 1995. So you have brothers and sisters there. But you know what? Each of those souls in Karachi is exactly the same value as your neighbor or your workmate. Or the person who came last August and loved church. And then they didn't come again. And we've not called them in a while. And we've sort of forgotten them. And we have names in our book. Or we have people we used to know in high school. 
There's so many different ways that we know people, right? And there are opportunities. And we feel guilty sometimes because we've not been in touch with someone in a while. But the great opportunity is to say, hey, you know, we were at church and we were talking about people that we hadn't talked to in a while. And I, 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 I thought about you. And I wanted just to say, I would love to see you again. I'd love to have coffee. I'd love for you to come out to my house for dinner or to come to our house church meeting or to come to our service in Denton or, 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 in, or wherever else you meet. I don't know the names of all the cities. Louisville or Dallas. Okay. We do meet in Dallas, right? Amen. But my point is simple. If a woman who is God will crawl on her knees to find a lost coin, if a shepherd will run through the fields or a father will run through the fields to find his lost son... God wants to use us as those pieces in the puzzle to encourage people. And they may be rude and unkind, but that doesn't mean that your love and your message isn't getting through. I was very unkind to the Christians for a very long time, but their niceness made me feel worse and worse. And I was just like, they've got to be fake because they're so nice. And they're just pretending they must want something from me. And they did. They wanted me to come and hear about Jesus. And and once I heard about Jesus, I realized, you know, the problem is not those guys. The problem is me. And I realized God likes me, even though I'm the way I am. And that gave me a chance to know Jesus Christ. You know, today, we've talked about three coins. And it's an honor to be here. I I thank everyone who made this service possible, the worship team, Bruce Hermans, and all the amazing technical team. All of you play a part in bringing the church together. And all of us are valuable to God. We're going to pray in just a moment for the communion. But there were three coins we talked about. Number one, the tiny little Assyria that reminds us that a sparrow is valuable to God, and so are we. And let's not do worthless things. You are so precious to God. And no matter how many times the world tells you you're no good because of your skin color, your appearance, your background, your gender... Whatever it is, we are valuable to our God. Secondly, our giving is valuable to God. We give to European missions or Eurasian missions, excuse me, Russia. We give to missions in Texas. We give to our regular work here every week. We give to the poor. Every single dollar, every dime is valuable to our God. And finally, our lost souls are valuable to God. And let's think about people that we already know that we could bring and reach out to, but also those we don't know and realize even the smallest gesture of kindness is powerful. And it's what brought us here. Someone cared enough to talk to us. Let's pray.